Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of the Showbound Podcast, presented by Axel Watches. I'm your host, Ethan Cardwell, joined here by my boy, Michael Raskin. Rask, how you doing? Oh, man, you crushed it. Uh, yeah. Little switch up for the listeners. Um, for any new listeners, Cardi never does the intro. That's actually the first time we're 33 episodes in, so good for you. Maybe I'll take the the outro today, but um, <laughs> I uh, it's, it's been a good week. I'm touring my new apartment in Niagara Falls tomorrow. In, uh, or Wednesday, as, as everyone's listening to this, I'll be there looking at my potential new place. So exciting. And uh, maybe look look for a good spot on the wall to get the jerseys and the showbound thing up behind me. And that should be priority number one when you're setting up a new house. Always prioritize showbound over everything. So uh, I was I was looking in the pictures, like where, where would I put the setup? So I, I've already been thinking about it. Beauty. I love that. That's good yeah. stuff for the boys. Um, what uh, what do we got on the docket for this week? Well, uh, what's up with you before we talk about the the playoff games? You got anything going on? Uh, no, just golfing a little bit. Uh, I guess U.S. Open week. So if you want to hear about our U.S. Open takes, uh, follow along. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end. And staying on the golf theme, we do we have almost finalized our golf match that we're going to be running the uh, Showbound Showdown. We're calling it. Oh yeah, and, no one knows uh, the name yet. Yeah, there's the final reveal, the name, the Showbound Showdown, and uh, we're, we're super pumped about it. We can't wait, so be sure to follow along. It should be out within the next two to three weeks, so stay tuned for that. Um, presented by our sponsor, Flight Golf, um, at www.golfflight.com. So go Showbound promo out. code, baby, 15% off. Yeah, definitely go check them out. Cheap and affordable. Get it while you can. But no, I, I'm just hanging out, man. Um, working out a little bit and still golfing. Uh, I, I think like some ice is open this week, so I might get out for for a rip on the ice. Uh, see how see how my wheels are. I haven't skated in two and a half months, so could be a little bit rusty. But we'll uh, we'll see. Who knows? Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm gonna get out there on the ice too. Um, now we do got to talk about the. Oh yeah, actually, before we even talk about the third round. Last week on the podcast, you doubled down on Colorado, bro. After we already embarrassed ourselves with the North Division. Then you're like, okay, to redeem the North Division, Colorado's winning. We called it early. And then, yeah, they lose, um, as we all know now. It's one nothing Vegas over Montreal. It's Tuesday as we record this right now. And uh, the game was last night, 4-1 win for Vegas. Vegas looks like the better team. I, I mean, I, I gave the little anti-prediction last week by calling Montreal, so... We all, we all knew what that meant, so I'm really cheering hard for Vegas, and they're looking good. And, dude, I might add the fact that, um, like, Colorado looked good in game one of Vegas, too. They won 7-1, and then the, kind of they flipped the script. And I don't know. It's it's different. Montreal's going into a real crowd. They're going to play an intense game. They're playing against a physical team who knows how to win in the playoffs, and Montreal still doesn't – they don't have a ton of experience throughout the lineup. I mean, yeah, they do they have a little bit, but – Vegas has been there, like even though they're this is what their fourth year, I think, yeah, fourth year. But um, but they've been rolling. They've been to the playoffs. They've been in the playoffs every year, and they've they've made runs. So I think this could be their year. Definitely look good in game one. Um, I want to hear about the Isles. What do you think there? Yeah, man, I I don't know because I have no clue what to predict or expect. I mean, when I was just talking about it, I don't think I said on the podcast. I before the game, I predicted Tampa winning, but when you watch that Islanders game, like kind of hard to to pick against them they look so good um it's gonna be a great series i see this thing going seven games but um i don't know i mean if i had to make a pick like i'll stick with tampa because that's what i said but i would not be surprised if the islanders win this and 
I don't know, man. They're just so sound defensively. Even their goaltending is not questionable at all. Like they've been getting great goaltending there. They're doing mm-hmm. it all. And it's not just Barzal getting the scoring done, which you would think like they're kind of up and down the lineup getting it done and they don't have their captain Anders Lee. So they're, they're an impressive team, man. Well, dude, if you think about it, they're deep. They got Nelson. They have Bailey, Bavillier, Eberle. Um, this, these are just guys off the top of my head, like Uncle Leo's out there buzzing around. Oh, yeah. Former, former Leafers, so you gotta love him. Um, but no, then they have an awesome back end, and they picked up Palmieri and uh, Zajac at the deadline too. Two older guys, two guys uh, who have experience in the locker room, and yeah, like you said, they're so defensively sound that it's hard to get shots. And I, I saw there was a stat that said like um, the chances were like nine or like 0 for 9 on getting shots for Tampa or something like that when in like on three on twos or something like that. Some stat, but it just showed how how good the Isles actually were in game one at shutting them down. And they just played that game to a tee, just wore the Tampa Bay Lightning out and then um, scored when they had their opportunities and that's all they needed to do. So I, I could really see them winning that series and then but with Barry Trotz behind the bench like he, he's so good and we saw that in Washington then wherever he goes he just tends to win so I gotta get you gotta give a lot of credit to Trotzy there oh yeah and uh game two goes tonight Tuesday so as you guys listen you'll know the winner but I think Tampa wins this one they bounce back so um yeah we'll see I, I'm gonna say I'll say Tampa 4-2 tonight I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna go Tampa 3-2 and uh I don't think there's any empty netters. Everyone's too good on defense. Anyway, mm-hmm. we should announce our guest. We got a big one. We actually been killing it with the guest, little two air on horn. But mm-hmm. um, Michael DiPietro, Vancouver Canucks goalie prospect. He has played on the Canucks uh, for a few games and just a great chat. We had a long chat with him and he was a really nice guy, really fascinating. And he talks about his his hard last season that where he only had got like four games of action in or something because he was up with the taxi squad of Vancouver and a bit of a roller coaster of emotions for him, like he was saying, but we had some good stuff with Mikey and uh, I'm excited to get that one over to you guys. But before we do, I got to say that summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0 compliment your dad bod or six pack dad bod for Cardi with the trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOWBOUND. Yeah, state-of-the-art product. Um, really suggest anybody who's interested goes out and takes a peek and definitely buys it. I know me and Rask are huge fans. It's been treating us well, so we're smelling good and we're, we're all cleaned up down below. Oh, yeah. They actually emailed me um, that other package i can't remember what it's called it doesn't matter now because they emailed me that it was sold out the one that you rated last week on the podcast and that's insane because this is like man they must have sold so many and probably because no. of us yeah no it would have been like half the sales probably like half online and then half just manscape showbound code so if you want to be a part of that and you want to contribute to the uh showbound takeover of manscape sales <laughs> let's uh let's go use that code now all right, it's time to bundle up with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. First off, the new Performance Package 4.0 includes the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is insane, and dare I say, the goat of ball trimmers. Yeah, I said it, and I actually do agree with that. 
Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? In the shower or in the wild? And from your chest pubes all the way down to your ball fro, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer for you. Want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered by 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent mixed snags and tugs in those delicate holes. Oof. <laughs> Seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations before heading outside. Use Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to keep you on your game in the heat. Then after trimming the lawn and whacking the weeds in the heat, give your beach balls a boost and use Crop Provisor. Oh, tongue twister. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOWBOUND at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOWBOUND at manscaped.com. Escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. That was a, that was a bit of a mouthful. That was, that was a long one. Yeah, no, that was a very long read for Ask, so we'll give him a break there. Took uh, took us only an extra 15 minutes to do that, and it's the crack of dawn. So I'm not too worried about uh, going anywhere. I didn't, it's not like I want to go work out or do anything, but uh, not a big deal, Rask. Um, but quickly, just before we get into this interview um, with a goaltender, we want to mention that we do have an exciting little segment coming for you next week. Axel-approved segment. Taya Curry will be joining us. Elgin Middlesex goaltender. Um, the first female to ever be drafted into the OHL, um, a 14th round of the Sarnie Sting. Uh, so we're super pleased to have her on, get a little bit of her story growing up in boys hockey and how things kind of unfolded to her being drafted by the Sarnia Sting. And we'll kind of see what uh, what she has next up her sleeve for, uh, for moving forward with her career, if she's going to pursue the OHL potentially, or if she's going to look at college routes. So stay tuned next week to hear about that. But uh, with that being said, I think we'll send it over to the Mikey DiPietro interview now. Okay, we're pleased to be joined now by Michael DiPietro. What's going on, Mikey? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. Happy to have you on. So, I mean, everyone kind of knows you just got back from Riga Lavia, the World Championships. You guys won gold. Um, your second World Championships, by the way. I don't know if a lot of people know that. But can you just tell us, like, what was that experience like and obviously winning gold, like, when no one really kind of expected it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was just a crazy experience, kind of how it all came together. Um, I was in Utica when I got the call, and it was kind of – kind of the last thing you're even thinking about in a season like this, but uh, it was definitely a pleasant surprise. Um, you know, I knew that a lot of NHL guys were probably going to turn it down based on the kind of the year that everybody's had. Um, but anytime, you know, you get to represent your country is an honor. So, um, you know, heading over there, didn't know what to expect uh, the second time around, especially with, you know, the COVID situation and in the bubble. I know most of us were all pretty much fully vaccinated anyways, but um, kind of the stipulations and rules kind of heading into it, we, we, we weren't really sure about. And, uh, and then kind of once, you know, we got around the guys and, you know, came together relatively quickly because we were basically bubbled up. So we were kind of forced to hang out, play cards together all the time. So um, as the tournament progressed, I think everybody saw us come together more and more as a team. And uh, especially with, uh, with the start we had, we needed, to, we needed to get our legs under us clearly. And, uh, you know, we finished off strong and, and ended on a high note. So 
um, yeah, it was certainly a really cool experience. Now you mentioned getting the call in Utica. I know Roberto Luongo was involved in the team. Is he the one who called you? Um, originally, it was actually the goalie coach in Vancouver. Kind of gave me a heads up. Ian Clark uh, gave me a heads up that you know this might be coming my way, and um, kind of explained to me that you know Bobby Lou will be giving you a call and stuff like that. And then um, and then Bobby Lou gave me a call and kind of uh, asked me if I was interested. And I said, of course. You know, I just had to run it by my parents. Uh, it's been a crazy year, so I had to call mom and dad and kind of let them know. And then they're like, are you nuts? Like, you're going like right away. So I'm like, okay, sounds good. And uh, and then, you know, <laughs> your mind's just in a blender for like a week trying to figure out logistically about, okay, how am I going to get my car over back into Canada? Okay, where am I flying from? All that stuff. And, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, it was a pretty funny experience. But, um, yeah, it all worked out, which, uh, which is all you can ask for. I mean, I imagine, you know, obviously he's a Vancouver Canucks legend. Like someone, uh, do you have a, like a previous relationship with him at all? And, and like, I assume he's someone you look up to a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, as a kid growing up, um, you know, him, Jonathan Quick, Carey Price, you know, those are my favorite goalies and obviously Marc-Andre Fleury too. So, um, you know, he's certainly somebody I looked up to and um, it wasn't my first time meeting him. It was actually met him when I was in Windsor with the Spitfires um, when the Panthers were in town playing the wings. Uh, Jimmy Bedard was the goalie coach for the wings at the time. And he would just pop over and kind of help us out on the ice during our practices. So he knew I was going to the game that night. And he, he asked me if I wanted to meet Bobby Lou. And I said, of course. So I met Jimmy on, on the concourse level. And he brought me down on ice level and Bobby Lou had the night off. So he brought me down the tunnel during the game and kind of tapped Bobby Lou on the shoulder. And we just quickly met there and, um yeah it was you know he, he's obviously a phenomenal person he has a he's one of the best to ever play the position and uh you know he's someone who I who I look up to so it was really cool yeah no that must be an incredible experience and uh I just I like to ask this one to goalies like we've had a few goalies on the podcast but when did you realize you wanted to be a goalie like and how do you even get into being a goalie like it's a pretty weird thing when you're a kid to to want to be you're right. Yeah, it's super weird. You know, you want to get hit by things. It's kind of, you know, it takes a special breed, as they say. But um, actually, I started playing hockey as a defenseman. And uh, my mom passed away when I was five. So my dad uh, started dating uh, my stepmom. But, you know, I call her my mom. And she had a son as well. He's six years older than me, my brother, Mark. And when they were dating, um, Mark was a goalie just in House League uh, in Windsor. And I saw Mark make a save on a breakaway. And, you know, there's maybe 12 people in the stands or something like that. But for me as a kid, you could just, you know, that was the coolest thing. How, you know, the goalie could be an X factor in the game and kind of how the tides kind of shifted. Um, so immediately I turned to my dad. This is probably in March. I turned to my dad. I'm like, dad, I want to be a goalie. And like immediately his face turned like 50 shades of white. He was like holding on to his wallet. I'm like, <laughs> never seen my dad move so fast to his wallet in my life, but um, it, it was pretty funny. So, uh, so that summer, um, you know, I just threw on the pads. I think I was eight or nine and just kind of linked up with a goalie coach who, who I'm still relatively close with now. So here with Brian Spearing. And then I met my goalie coach through him and now, and uh you know, that that fall, I guess, I tried out for AAA. I actually ended up making the team that year, but my dad already committed to coach uh, in Amherstburg Minor for, for the year. So I stayed in Amherstburg in AP AAA and then uh, went to Sun County the following season. So 
it was uh, it was a pretty cool transition. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting. I didn't uh, a lot of people we just hear on here like kind of easier paths and stuff. That's a that's a different one for sure. Something we haven't heard before. But um, so just kind of taking us through your minor hockey after that, you uh, you're a high pick in the OHL, twenty third overall by Windsor. So your hometown team, relatively in the area and stuff. And you, uh, what was your OHL draft like for you? It was it was a pretty cool experience. Um... Obviously, the OHL draft is in the morning, kind of. It's like a late morning kind of thing. So we had a bunch of family and friends over. We had both TVs going in the house. And uh, we just had a bunch of Tim Hortons. And I'm Italian, so we do everything big with food. So we had a ton of food. And uh, I think we had probably 40 people over at the house. And it was just a circus. And then as soon as you know it started, it was like you can hear a pin drop in my house. And... Uh, so luckily I didn't have to wait too long to hear my name called, but it was actually, it was nice to be able to, you know, share that experience with friends and family and, you know, being picked by Windsor, you know, you're right there. So I got to go to the rink that day and kind of meet everybody who, who I didn't know already. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool stuff pictures from that day. And, and we still talk about it. It's, it's crazy to think it's what now six years ago, seven years ago, the draft is just mind blowing, but it seems like yesterday. Yeah, time flies, especially in the OHL. Once you get in there, and then it's uh, you're there, and then you're done. Like I've I've only, I've under a hundred games, and because of COVID and everything, still uh, going in my fourth year, guys. So like a vet in the room, and you you don't even realize it. But your first year, you split starts, you do really well, put up incredible numbers. So how did you find that adjustment to the OHL for you? Like you made it look pretty seamless. Um. Yeah. It was, it was obviously a big jump. Um. I think one of the funniest stories I have was in camp um and you obviously have rookie camp right when you first get drafted then you have main camp in august and brian teakle who was our head scout at the time um he was in the stands and i think it was my first ever skate with the main guys in the main group and um i was down at one end at the home end and the first drill i literally i'm i'm not kidding you i maybe stopped one puck the entire time like it was like a six minute drill and i was just getting lit up so I went to the I went to the bench, grab a sip of water, and I see his teeks like walk down the stairs, and he just looks at me. He goes, "You know, you're allowed to stop one, eh?" And uh, and right then and there, I'm like, "Oh my god! Like I'm getting cut for sure. Like I should just hang him up." Um, but you know, it got better. And then I, I think as soon as the games came around, I just didn't think. I think being naive at 16, you know, you just go in there and you just play. You know, you don't think and uh, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of just have a good season and kind of get acclimated relatively quickly. And um, I pride myself in my work ethic and uh, and I just kind of found ways to, you know, stop pucks, I think, in, in that first year. And then obviously, as, as I got older, kind of my game matured and you kind of understand the league and understand reads more. But, um, you know, it's kind of just learning on the fly, especially when you're a rookie or a true rookie. You're just kind of flying by the seat, by the seat of your pants. That's really fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> like giving up all those goals in the rookie camp. Your confidence has got to be shot heading into yeah. <laughs> the main camp and all that. But uh, we have a couple mutual friends. I know, like, was Mario Kalina there that season? He's my buddy. He he joined us. He was my fourth goalie partner that year. Oh, wow. Um, I had four goalie partners that year. And Cully came in at the end of the – well, midway through, closer to the end of the season. And then he and I were buddies, uh, like – goalie partners and really really close friends 
um, my second year. So yeah, he's a beauty. So I have an interesting question. And I know, yeah, he's a great guy, like obviously, and I'm sure all your goalie partners are, but there's always this, uh, you know, there's competition between goalie partners at every level. You know, you want to be the starter. Everyone does. And you were in the position where you could be the starter, but can you just take us through like what that relationship of goalie partners is? Cause you know, maybe sometimes behind the scenes, they're kind of rooting for you. I'm not saying anyone is, but in, in a certain situation, you know, they're rooting for you to fail. Like, can you just tell us about that? Yeah. Um, I can tell you right now when I was younger, um, it was such a, such a big competition. Uh, even in minor hockey, no matter what level, you know, my backup was at, I just, like we were, we were civil, but I wouldn't say we were close. And, um, you know, as when I got to the OHL, it was like, you know, I'm here to steal your job, especially as a 16 year old. Like I want to be the guy. And then as soon as you're the guy, everybody kind of wants, you know, your spot. So you just have to work even harder to get there. Um, so I, I was close with my goalie partners, but nobody I was close with up to my, you know, my hockey career until I met Cully and the Croatian nation. And, uh, and he and I were super close. And the first year we were kind of, you know, battling, jarring one another. And we same for the second year as well. But as kind of, you know, things started to separate, we started, you know, becoming closer and really, really tight knit. And I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a touchy subject. I think as you get older, um, you know, you, you obviously mature as a person. And I think, um, you know, you, you appreciate your goalie partner more. You start bouncing things off of them. And realistically, your goalie partner, minus the goalie coach, is the only person on the team who knows what you're going through. And he's probably been in your shoes. So he's somebody that you can relate to. And so I think, you know, that was kind of my mindset, kind of what clicked. So my third year when Cully left, I had Brock Beyer, who was, you know, a phenomenal person. And, uh, you know, he was just a guy who never, he didn't play a lot of games, but him and I grew up playing against each other. So we knew each other. And he and I were really close, feeding off each other. And then um, I had Kari Peronen, who was in Finland, who was from Finland, excuse me. He was a younger kid. So I just, you know, I think every year is kind of different. But as I got older, I kind of appreciated my goalie partners more. And you kind of learned and fed off them. And, you know, I think it helped me in the long run because I could pick up a few things here and there. And plus, easier coming to the rink. I think, um, especially my first year pro, I had – two veteran AHL, um, you know, goaltenders who I learned a lot from, Zane McIntyre, Richard Bachman. So, you know, those are guys where, you know, anytime you can pick the, pick the brain of a guy who's been around longer than you have or even the same amount of time, um, you know, it's great because you're constantly learning all the time. Yeah, that was an interesting answer. Like, it's, it's honestly really cool to hear that. Um, now, we can't brush over your second year in the OHL. You guys ended up winning the Memorial Cup and um, it was the whole thing where you guys were the host. Windsor hosted it, got beat out in the first round by Erie, I think, and then uh, ended up winning it against Erie, right? Or did you lose to London in the first round? No, we lost. We lost to London in Game Seven in London, and okay, it, yeah, was just, it was just—it was a heartbreaker. The final goal is still up for dispute. Me and Oli Olevi still kind of jar back and forth, you know. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, no, it was the 40 I think it was 44 days or something like that off were a nightmare um like phase phase one we uh so our coaches and training staff broke it up into four phases so phase one it was like six days on 
one day off, six days on, one day off. And, you know, you're doing two a days. I was in high school at the time. I was in grade 12. So I think I'd go to the rink, do like a 30-minute uh, speed ladder. And our coach at the time, Rocky Thompson, would run the speed ladder. And Rocky was in better shape than all of us put together. Like this guy was unbelievable. Like the shape this guy was in was unbelievable. Like we literally got him a robe for Christmas because, you know, we always walked around with no shirt on and he made everybody feel bad about themselves. So <laughs> we're like, you got to wear this. So it was pretty funny. So we do like 30 minute speed ladder. We did two ice sessions and then work out after. So I remember my first night coming home from, uh, from phase one, <laughs> My, I was walking down my billet stairs and my legs gave out and I just fell right down the stairs. So I called, <laughs> I called Mario and I'm like, Cully, no chance we're doing all this and we're not winning this thing. So we go to the rink the next day and Mario's like, okay, we win this thing. I'm going to push you in the shower and your gear in the gitch bin. So I said, okay, we're going to do that. And that was like our only way getting us through like the phases. We're just each other kind of feeding off laughing. And uh, it was extremely hard, but obviously it was, it was extremely worth it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Fascinating. So like get to the tournament. Can you just tell us, well, one, like what's the, all that media attention? Like it's a whole nother thing that you probably haven't dealt with at that point. And then, and then winning it, like how did that go down in the final game? Yeah, it was, it was eye opening. Um, you know, growing up, you watch Memorial cup and obviously it's national coverage and it, it's, it's a big deal. And, you know, you don't really realize how big of a deal it is until you're actually there and witness all the personnel and all the added things like throughout the season, excuse me, throughout the season, we had uh, FINA, which is like the international swimming competition come in like November, but plus they were trying to prep for Memorial cup. So we were on the road for like a month of November. We had so many like away games that were in the beginning of the season and we were backloaded with home games and, being home so much, you got to like kind of see kind of all the preparations that kind of got into it. But as soon as it happened, you kind of eyes wide open and you're like, what the heck just happened? And then, you know, the tournament starts and it's different because you don't know what other leagues are like. You know, you hear about the St. John's powerhouse just absolutely carving through teams in the queue, you know, led by Thomas Shabbat. And then you have Barzell on Seattle that was there. And then Erie, I don't think we've beat Erie all season. I don't think we, we won one game against them. So we knew we were going to be in one for the tournament. Uh, but, we, you know, we trust each other. We were there. And I, I think the biggest, the most pivotal part of the tournament was, I think it was like the first shot against I, that I received, like for myself, was like a puck squirted wide and our end borns like shot it right back out. And I was down. So I just like laid back with my glove and I was basically on my back and my gloves on the goal and the guy shot it right on my glove. And, you know, if that went in the net, who knows, you know, you trail and then, you know, you don't really kind of have a chance to get a feel out process for the game. So that was a pretty big moment, I think, for myself, for the tournament. It, you know, it was kind of a big confidence booster. And, and then as the tournament progressed, I think our team got better and better. And I think it wasn't until the last game till we, we actually trailed um in a game and then you know the way the last game shook out was bizarre um you know between you know their third goal arguably could have been kicked in you know no call they're up three two stan scores from the point on an ice burner and uh and then loot scores from brax um 
you know, and then those are the longest. I think they're like 14 minutes left in the game. And those are like the longest 14 minutes of hockey I've ever played in my life. And, uh, but as soon as you win, it's like winning any championship in any league. You just go nuts. You scream. You're so happy. You feel like you're on top of the world. And then you just celebrate. And then you're just, you know, with your teammates enjoying it. And uh, unfortunately, Gabe, Velarde, and I, very, very short celebration because we had to leave, I think, a day later for, for the combine. So it was just a quick turnaround. Yeah, quick turnaround there. But uh, like you said, you just go wild after winning anything. And that's a pretty special moment. And, and like Grass said, we're not going to brush over your second year. And that second year that you won the member is actually your draft year, as you mentioned, going to the combine days later. But um, a lot of hype surrounding you, um, especially after winning the Memorial Cup. A lot of people had you going really high and, and you ended up doing that real high goalie pick. So what was that year like for you with all that attention and all the spotlight as a uh, high-end goalie going into that draft? Well, it was stressful. I think, you know, I'm a person who puts a lot of pressure on myself, regardless of any situation. I think, you know, my second year in the O, balancing, you know, your draft year, balancing your um, your host Memorial Cup, you know, those things in the back of your head. Plus, you're from the area, so you want to do well, you want to win. Um, it, it was it was a lot for me and, and the added pressure I put on myself um, personally and, and from a professional standpoint. I don't think I've ever answered so many questions about my height in one year. It was, if that was like the first question most scouts would ask. So how tall are you? You know, who, who do you think you play like? And then, you know, it seems like that's, that is the, that was the only question they were concerned about. And then everything else was kind of, you know, after the fact kind of thing. So it kind of like fueled me, like my motivation. I knew that, you know, obviously it was it was a pretty good goal year with uh, you know Jake Ottinger and then Luke and in too. Um, so I'm I'm a super competitive individual, and um, so as the year progressed, I tried not to, I tried my hardest not to look at draft standings. But you know, you're only human. You know, you're curious to see kind of where you are and um, where other people view you versus where you think you yourself belong. Uh, it, it's a touchy subject, I think especially with my personality that I have um, that I always want to be the best or push or get better. Um, you know, it was, it was tough. It was a tough year. Ended off on a really high note with, with the Memorial cup win. So I really didn't know heading into the draft, what it was going to shake out like and heading into it. My agent you know, was like, it's Hollywood for a day. That's all it is. My parents kept telling me that. And, but as a kid, you know, it doesn't really resonate with you until you're actually there. And you're like, okay, this is so cool. But then the next day it's like, okay, it's over. Now they keep on working. And then you come to camp and uh, you have all these other free agents who are phenomenal hockey players older than you. And, you know, you just want to perform well, but, you know, they're good hockey players too. I think it's a really, you know, it opens up your eyes and puts things in perspective. So that was, uh, you know, a, a pretty big year for myself. And yeah, everything ended up working out on draft day, a third rounder to the Vancouver Canucks. And and from there, I would say a lot of success in the organization, working yourself up. But how was that draft? And take us through the moment you got picked. And then did you kind of have a feeling that it might have been Vancouver? Did you have good talks with them? Um, I actually didn't talk to Vancouver during the year. We had a really good interview at the, at the Combine. And uh, I thought it went really, really well. And I knew kind of where they were picked. They had two picks in the second. And then, the, you know, they had a pick early in the third. So, you know, I, I kind of hoped, you know, somewhere around there. 
And, uh, but the draft is such a roller coaster of emotions. I think, you know, you get, you think you can go there, you don't get picked, you get pissed. And then, you know, you look up, you're like, oh, I think I can go here. And it's just like a com- complete roller coaster of emotions. Um, you know, even for my family too, my brother, my mom, my dad, um, you know, just kind of constantly looking at the board. I think my, you know, you bounce your leg up and down so many times, um, you know, you, you, you start sweating and it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. So finally, when my name got called, um, I, I like sprung up and I hugged my dad, you know, hugged my brother, hugged my mom. And then my agent came down and shook his hand and I, I needed to take my jacket off, like my suit jacket. And my mom and dad surprised me with these cufflinks with my biological mom's earrings in them as a draft day gift, which is really special. And so, you know, the cufflinks were so big, I couldn't get the jacket off. So at this point, I'm like, dad, rip the damn jacket off right now or cut it off. I don't care. I'm trying to run down the stairs. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was just something funny that we still laugh about too. And I don't think I've worn those cufflinks since. Those are just in my room put away. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. That's a, that's a nice little keepsake and definitely a special thing to have on draft day, but uh, maybe a little bit in the way at uh, oh, 100%. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. And uh, I mean, I do want to get into the Vancouver stuff, but just quickly, we can't skip over, you know, you got traded to Ottawa in the OHL and got to go on a deep run there with honestly, like one of the most stacked teams ever. I don't know how you guys didn't end up winning, but can you just quickly tell us about that run and that experience? Yeah. Um, you know, the trade to Ottawa, I knew it was kind of happening. Um, Warren came to my house the night before, but whenever you get traded, especially my first time, it was just, you know, you, you, you're emotional. You don't want to leave. I had a lot of things tying me here and, um, but it was a great opportunity for myself. So, you know, we, I think my time in Ottawa was such a roller coaster until actually the playoffs, because, you know, I had world juniors, I had, um, the emergency call up, you know, so I was a lot of up and down, you know, a lot of traveling. So I think the playoffs were actually the first time I felt kind of like settled in and comfortable. And uh, so as that kind of, you know, as, as, when when playoffs started for us, everybody was so excited. I think our, our team was gearing up well. We, we played well down the stretch, obviously. We felt good about ourselves. And, uh, and then we just started rolling. I think we got better as each series wore on. And each series kind of, highlighted you know a different kind of you know thing like a certain game I remember from that series you know from I remember game one against Hamilton and kind of the way that went and then you know game four in Sudbury in round two with triple overtime and then game three in Oshawa with Feli scoring with a minute left in the third to make it 1-1 and then scoring on a power play you know right at the beginning of overtime it was funny uh, when we flew over to uh, to Europe Sasha Chemileski was you know, playing for the U S so we just sat down together and we literally talked about that run for a good hour and just, you know, the quirks playing cards with the guys on the bus, the travel, you know, the stuff that like behind the scenes, you don't really get to see. Um, and then unfortunately I got hurt in game two against Guelph. You know, we were on a heater and we were 13 and 0 at that time. And, you know, my, my goalie partner came in and played really well. We won game two and unfortunately lost uh, the last four and unfortunately lost the finals. And it was tough watching, you know, being injured and not really having a direct Im- impact on the game, which was tough. But, you know, I, I look back on my time in Ottawa with nothing but fond memories. And 
Um, I still keep in touch with a lot of, a lot of the staff there as well. So yeah, some things, you know, fall your way and some things don't. I want to hop in here and say too, yeah. though, like he goes down in the finals against Guelph. We lose Ivan in the conference finals against Guelph. Like Guelph got like, and Mikey and Ivan are arguably the two best goalies in the league at this point. Obviously, Lukanen too. He was a great goalie and stuff, but like they're the top two goalies in the league and Guelph gets the balance of losing both those guys in the series. So, I mean, probably should have been SAG versus Ottawa and then that it would have been a battle of the goalies. But I mean, that just, obviously would have been Ottawa winning the finals, obviously. But. <laughs> Debatably, but yeah. <laughs> if, you go, if you go down, then no way. But if you're healthy, then we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, actually, Cardi, did you ever score on Mikey? No, man. I, I only, I don't even know if I played him because I think he went to, I was down and then he got traded bef- uh, yeah. before I even had played Windsor. Maybe, yeah, probably probably not even. Okay, that would have been definitely, funny. Definitely no talk, though. Definitely no talk. We, we would have no put talk. that in a clip. That would have been funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just curious because you, you mentioned Warren Reichel. Like, Cardi and I know him uh, really well. Like, what's your relationship with Reichs like? Reichs is great. I knew – I've known Reichs for – since I was probably eight. And um, I played with the Sun Maddox growing up. And there are so many stories of Reichs and, you know, him at the, uh, at the rink, he would come on the ice, help coach us, you know, when I was a minor, you know, help us out. And he's just so zero to a hundred, you know, so quick. And it is so funny. I remember my first ever experience with Warren was I was like nine years old at like a Sun County practice. And I'm not sure if you ever guys went to like the Essex Bowl to play Sun County growing up or whatever, but there's like the bowl where the junior C team plays and I'm at the one end during practice and Warren is comes out on the ice with his Colorado avalanche, like track suit when he played and then his helmet, but his helmet is like eight sizes too small. So it was literally just sitting on top of his head, like one of those like little, little like memorabilia helmets and it's just <laughs> sitting on top of his head and everybody's looking at him like, how is this thing staying on? So then he starts screaming. He goes, this one drill, all slap shots, just crack it, just crack it. And I'm like nine years old in the net. And mind you, I was pretty, I was a chubby kid when I was younger. So I was just a little chubby kid in the net and Warren comes down, just takes a slap shot, hits me right in the stomach. I go down like a ton of bricks. start crying on the ice i'm like this is like the most pain i've ever been he goes get up you're fine (laughs) and he starts cracking it again it was so funny but uh yeah he's honestly he's he's a great hockey mind he's a great person um you know he, he you love him you hate him at times but he always has your best interests at heart especially you know when you when you give it your all you know he's gonna go to bat for you too so it's uh you know he's a good guy and a a funny thing about reichs is he's actually still running that drill we did it last year in barry calls it missile (laughs) command and everyone just lines up and rips one tease at the teddy i'm like i'm not feeling too good for the teddies we're just walking and just pumping them at the goalie so definitely know how you feel there um would have been a tough one but i want to talk about probably one of the biggest moments in your career was the emergency call-up um pretty special moment obviously anytime you get to get the call to the nhl and especially uh so quickly and how abruptly it happened can you kind of just take us through quickly how it happened and uh what what the moment was like for you in your first nhl game yeah um i was in ottawa at the time i got a call at my billet house uh from ryan johnson who at the time was the head of our player development 
Um, and he's also the GM and for our farm team. And um, he goes, we need to call you up. And I thought it was a joke. I thought like, I didn't know it was like, no, like you have other guys for sure. But it just, the cards fell where they needed to call me up on emergency basis. And um, I met the team in Washington. I sat on the bench, you know, my very first game. And it was just, my eyes were wide open. I thought that like, that was the coolest experience. And then I went on the plane. I was just like, we get to go right on the plane. Like where's like security go through? Like it was just, you know, it was completely, completely something I'm not used to at the time, obviously. And uh, I thought it was the coolest thing. I kept texting my parents. I'm like, the food is unbelievable here. Like, it's just ridiculous. So uh, we flew to Chicago and then I backed up in Chicago and we flew home after that. And, um, you know, from for some reasons, I uh, can't really say. But anyways, I got I had to play the game. Uh, it kind of happened very quickly. It was after morning skate. I was stretching in the gym I think it was like at 12 30 or one o'clock in the afternoon and we played the Sharks that night and uh they're like Mike uh Clarky comes in the gym he goes you're playing tonight and like a pit just dropped in my stomach I was so nervous there was no pregame nap it was just looking at the fan on the ceiling the entire time just <laughs> so nervous and then uh obviously the game didn't go so well it, it probably you know, one of the worst games, you know, you could probably do for your very first one. Not definitely not how you draw it up. Um, you know, when you think of, you know, first game, you think of a 40 save shutout standing on your head, not seven goals against and, you know, an absolute <laughs> shooter tutor out there during a game. Um, but for myself, it was probably the best thing to happen in my career. And as I said this multiple times, it was something that I, I learned a lot from. I learned that the strides in my game where I needed to go. And, you know, I had a process of how I needed to get there through Clarky, through Sam Mann, through my goalie coach here. And, you know, as, as I'm not going to say embarrassing as, as that game was, because it's a, it's a dream come true. getting to play in national hockey league game. Um, but, you know, it's obviously you want to, I wanted to do better. And, you know, being 19 at the time, goalies take longer to develop you know, whatever you may say, um, not a lot of time for preparation. I'm never one for excuses. Um, for me, I just wanted to, you know, take it as a learning experience, move on and get better. And I think I have in the past few years. And, you know, even two seasons ago when I got to go in in the third period against Vegas, I think, you know, the comfortability level, even, you know, for that four months of pro, uh, pro hockey, get, getting used to pro hockey in the American League before getting the call up, um, it is big and your comfort level and, you know, you, the sense of belonging. And then this year too, you know, you feel like you belong and you, you feel like you're doing the strides in your game to get better. So, um, yeah, it was, it was tough, but it was certainly a really cool experience getting to play at such a young age. And hopefully there'll be many more games to play, but hopefully with better, better outcomes. Can't get much worse than seven rips against you. So it's all right. <laughs> Hey, yeah, and you know what you said uh, at your first rookie camp with uh, Windsor, you let them all in too. So you might as well get that out of the way early and then uh, your career will be on the up and up and hopefully a cup here soon when you get back up there. But I know I'll let Rask touch on your, your first pro season. Yeah, before we send it into like talking about your first full pro season, I actually, it just reminded me because you talk about the food on the plane and all that stuff getting up in Vancouver. We had uh, Max Jones on last week 
he he called it. I'd never heard this. I don't know if a lot of people. Have. He called it the Never Hungry League, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it's legit the Never Hungry League. If you ate every meal that was put in front of you or available to you, you'd be I'd be nine hundred pounds. You'd be roll. I'd be back to when I was like six years old. I'd be an absolute. I wouldn't be in shape. I'd be a shape. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be ridiculous. Oh man, that's hilarious. And yeah, anyway, so your first pro season, you're in Utica in the AHL, and um. I know like you obviously had that NHL game before, but how do you find the adjustment to being a full-time pro like on and off the ice, even just like learning to cook, live on your own, like how all about it. How was that? It was actually pretty smooth. Um, you know, with Vancouver moving the farm team out to Abbotsford, uh, you know, I was obviously in Utica for the past two years and Utica is a phenomenal city. Um, I was really lucky. Like I'm a pretty social person. I love to get to know people who they are. I like to like immerse myself in the community, like wherever I am. So in, when I got to Utica, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, a lot of guys were like, well, there's nothing really around it. It's just basically hockey and a lot of Italian restaurants. Well, being Italian, it was like, okay, I'm from there. Like a lot, I have a lot of paisanos there. You know what I mean? So it was, it was pretty easy to kind of uh, get to know people. And I really got to know uh, the DeSaro family really, really well there. And the mother works for the team in uh, marketing and uh, for corporate sponsors and everything. And she has, uh, and her husband, Anthony, who I got to know through her and their three young kids. And so I would literally go over to their house for dinner at least like three, four times a week. Just, you know, I put up their Christmas tree. I took the kids trick or treating. It was so much fun. And I think, you know, when, as soon as I got to know the DeSaro family, they introduced me to everybody in Utica. And as soon as that happened, it really made myself more comfortable being in the community, especially being 20 years old and living on my own for the first time. It, you know, I was nervous. I didn't really know what to expect or even where to live. Um, but then from the hockey perspective and the hockey side of things, it, it was great. I think when you're around other pros and you can, you have, you know, you have so much access to open ice and you have access to the gym uh, you really get your feet under you relatively quickly and you're not so wide eyed like I was because, you know, in junior is kind of a little bit more babied or more structured in, in pro it, it's your prerogative to get better. Nobody's going to hold your hand. It's kind of like when you make jump from grade school to high school, nobody's holding your hand in high school to university. So I think for us and for myself, as soon as I got kind of in a few practices with the guys and kind of got my feet wet, with the, with Sandman and Utica, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to have a pretty solid season again in Utica um, for, for my first pro year. And I think that's what made me so comfortable um, and made me be able to perform so well is because I got to know people in the community. I got to adapt so quickly and um, you know, I, I felt comfortable and, and I'm a routine based person and I got to get a routine, you know, really quick. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, just curious, since you mentioned it, what are your thoughts on the move to Abbotsford? You know, it, it's great. Uh, I think for the organization, it's, you know, it makes sense, especially being on the West Coast, you know, being so close to Vancouver, everything like that. Selfishly, I loved Utica. Um, you know, I, I love the people there. It'll be, it, it was certainly tough to go. It was pretty emotional the last game. I was, I was extremely happy. I got to play the last game ever, you know, for the Utica Comets in Utica. Uh, under the Vancouver Canucks organization umbrella. And, you know, we took some, you know, pictures on the ice after. It, it, was, it was really emotional, I think, for 
um, for the DeSaro family and for myself, because, you know, I won't be seeing them next year um, as often as I was. So it's, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I think it, it makes sense for the organization. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, having a good camp coming, you know, coming up here. And, you know, my goal is to make Vancouver. I said that multiple times and uh, I'm a guy who sets really high bars and really high goals. So, you know, that's, uh, that's my goal. And yeah, Rask, I was just going to quickly add who yeah. he probably doesn't care where the AHL team is, is he's going to be in the show next year. So <laughs> I don't know about that. I got to earn it, but hopefully, uh, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just curious too, because I think you mentioned it earlier too, but I know you were up with the Canucks for a while that season as well, like just backing up and being around the team. So what was that like every day getting to work out practice, like see what these guys are doing? Like, how was that experience for you? Yeah. Like are you talking about being a part of the taxi squad? No, like, uh, you, like your first pro season, you were you were up there, were you not? Oh yeah, I was up. For, I was up for a few weeks. Yeah, no, it was great. It was honestly, it was it was really cool. I think it was, um, you know, I wasn't as you know eyes wide open as obviously the emergency call up because of like I said, you have those first four months of being pro, uh, and you get kind of acclimated, you get kind of used to it. Um, but yeah, I think it was it was really good for myself to kind of immerse myself around those guys and kind of see how they work, see what they do on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you're still so young. So you just try to, you know, do the right things to kind of give yourself the most success as possible, but also, you know, being a good teammate and, you know, you touched what we touched on earlier about, you know, your goalie partners, you know, being able to be around, be around Marky and be around Demmer. Um, you know, those are guys that are obviously phenomenal goaltenders and who I look up to as well. And, you know, when I got to be around them and just kind of, you know, get to know them on a personal level, but also kind of see them, how they interact on a daily basis as well. Um, you know, you, you come into the rink, do your work, but then also when you leave the rink, you leave all the stuff at the rink and you don't really take it with you and you just kind of enjoy your day as well is, is kind of, you know, important to kind of separate the two. That's, that's interesting. I find that, uh, well, yeah, because when you're in junior, you got to worry about school and all the other things going home, your billets, when you're in pro, it's all just on your own and you can kind of just go about your life and then really just focus on getting better at the rink. So, and one thing that just kind of came to my mind, like for being a goalie, like I never really asked a goalie this. I know I, I talk to players about this all the time and I've seen it firsthand. So for you playing in the OHL, like your last year, you're playing against O2s and whatnot. Like you're getting rocket shots on guys like from me, like my shots are bomb. <laughs> So, but then, then you go up, then you go up and you're getting shots from like Brock Besser. Like, what is the difference? Like how noticeable is it for you? Well, I mean, cards, like you have an absolute missile. So, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> comparable, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, um, you know, people talk about what's the biggest adjustment and obviously the size, the speed, the shots, like that stuff is to be expected. But I think the biggest thing that, you know, my emergency call up, and, you know, my first year pro and all that stuff kind of taught me was, you know, it's the stuff you didn't expect, like the, you know, the hockey IQ and the knowledge for the game, like no plays wasted. Like in the OHL, you can kind of see on a three on two, you know, a guy kicks it out wide, middle lane driver, you know, there's going to be a shot off the flank with either a double drive or, you know, a pass, pass off the ass to the guy in the far, far side. It's, it's pretty cut and dry. Nine times out of ten, you're going to get a shot. Um, but I, when I entered pro, 
it was different. Like, you know, you, you, the, the shot tips, you know, an option now, um, you know, actually a scorable threat. Uh, then you have, oh, there's a lot more net front traffic. Guys are tipping everything, you know, to have, I think maybe half the shots that you face in a game are probably tipped or hitting something and, you know, managing your traffic. Those are, those are things that are, were really difficult for me when I it was on the emergency call up and working through it that game. And that's what I think caused me to have not a lot of success because I wasn't used to it. And as I kind of progressed in my game and as it's, you know, pro hockey so far, you know, you work on these things, you, these habits or these uh, skill sets that Clarkie and Sandman kind of introduced to you and I bring home to work on. Um, so I'm, I mature my game, but yeah, like the shots is obviously, night and day quick releases but i think the way the guys think the game and the way the game's played it's a lot faster things are done with more purpose and there's a lot more scorable you know threats usually than uh, than what you'd see in junior mm-hmm. and that makes total sense i mean these guys have been around they've seen it and and like like me and you went through it. like you go through the ohl you learn things every single year and you can only imagine at the next level that some of these guys have been in the league for 15 years. Like they imagine the amount of stuff that they're picking up and it's going to be crucial for you as a goaltender, I believe is going through, cause you can only learn and learn as a goalie. And, uh, and that that's why goalies get better over time for sure. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about your next season a little bit. So uh, the season that just happened before you went to the world's, what was that year like for you, obviously with a COVID season, but you spent a lot of time on the taxi squad. Um, up with Vancouver and then down in Utica. Yeah. I think COVID kind of, you know, screwed everything up for pretty much everybody, um, including myself. And uh, I think this year, if it taught me anything, it was just being able to find solutions on things you can control and just letting go and accepting things. You just are completely out of your control. And, you know, with this season, Heading into camp, I wanted to be that third goalie on the taxi squad because I didn't know the security of the AHL. I didn't know what it would look like. Um, while we while we were at camp, we got word that Utica's you know going to be sharing duties with St. Louis's farm team, um, so we're going to be like kind of merging farm teams for the year. Um, so for me, it was just making the the taxi squad. That was my goal. And then as the season kind of went on, um, I probably went through every emotion you could probably think of between, you know, you're pissed off, you're happy, you're sad, you're confused, you're frustrated um, because, you know, you're constantly, you're getting up in the morning, you're going to the rink, you're skating, you're working out and you're coming back to your apartment doing nothing and you can't do anything. And I'm by myself and, you know, I called, I have a mental skills coach. I use it a lot and, um, you know, just calling him, venting to him, calling my parents you know, just some, somebody to talk to. And, you know, I think as the season went on, I just, every day that that came, you know, I wanted to get the most of every day and to get better and improve because being around Clarkie every day is a huge pro of being up on the taxi squad because you got, you get to work on things, get to work on concepts but as the months went on, the problem with that is, you know, you get taught all these concepts, you practice them, but you have to be able to take what you practice and put it in the game and like see it actually come into your game and you know when to use it and everything like that. So um, 
yeah, it was, it was a trying season. I think, you know, as uh, in the mornings, you know, I put a sticky note on my door, just win the day. And, you know, that's what kind of helped me get through the monotony and, you know, every day's groundhog day. But, you know, I think as the, as time went on and finally I kind of got, well, released or was able to go play some games down in Utica. Um, you know, that was great. I think I felt great. My game felt great. And um, that was important to me to be able to go play some games and, and kind of put all the things we were practicing, you know, to use. Yeah. And one thing that kind of came to my head about the whole season was there's a lot of stuff going on with Vancouver and, and the whole COVID thing. Were you in Vancouver when all that went down or were you in Utica? Yeah, no, I was in Van. I was in Van when that happened. So, you know, it was another two weeks of quarantine. You know, luckily I dodged it. Luckily everybody and, and their families are, are are recovered from, you know, from that incident. And, you know, for us, it's just, you know, uh, I'm just hoping, uh, you know, everybody, you know, hopefully we have a normal season next year and, and we don't got to worry about this stuff. What what was that like when the when that was kind of all going down? I don't know how much you can talk about it, but the news and then for you guys to come back for the guy, especially the players and the goalie started that next game against Toronto after not, not playing and barely having any practices. What was that just like that preparation like for you guys? Well, I think, I think it's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say too much, but I think it was a scary, a scary uh, a thing to go through. I think every day you're getting an update on more, you know, more and more people getting infected and their, you know, tests coming back positive. I know some guys were hit harder than others. Um, but like I said, I was just really happy that everybody, um, now has been made a full recovery and, and, and their family, uh, hopefully. And, um, you know, w- when we got word that we, you know, had to come back and, you know, continue the season, um, you know, we, we were playing the Leafs. The Leafs were obviously really good. They're on a heater going into it. And we came back and, you know, the guys found a way. And luckily I was, I was backing up that game and, it was so cool to see us kind of claw our way back in the game. And it was, it was, it was pretty, it was something special, even though I didn't have an impact on the game, you know, directly, I was just watching it on the bench. That was so cool to be a part of, you know, especially being taking that much time off, having such limited practice time, you know, guys are still battling through and, you know, having the resiliency to kind of push through and, and, and win that game. That was, that was pretty cool to be a part of. And um, it showed a lot of like, you know, showed a lot of gut, showed a lot of resiliency from, from all the guys in the room. And, you know, it was pretty cool for myself to even be a part of it. So I think it showed a lot of people that, uh, you know, we, we just wanted to you know, play and, and, and push through and, and they did. I, I'm a Leafs fan myself. And I remember watching that game and I couldn't help but feel like proud of the Vancouver guy. Like, it's like it was a cool <laughs> story. Like, so, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm just curious. I mean, you're finally in your off season now after, like you said, a really up and down season. So what do you, kind of what's your off season look like as a goalie what are you training what do you what do you like to do and even just away from training what do you do for fun yeah um well for me it's probably just go to the gym you know monday tuesday thursday friday um you know wednesdays uh our trainer and i work out with uh zach cassian so him and i work out together and you know we actually are you know we, we play well i'm gonna i'm gonna attempt to play some tennis on Wednesdays, just something different, play a different sport on the clay. So it's easier on the joints and, you know, just hit it around, have some fun, something to break up the week. So you're not in the gym, just lifting all the time. And um, obviously between skating and all that, you do all that stuff. But um, you know, for me, I'm just looking forward to be home with my family. 
Um, it's been an extremely long year. My brother's in Nashville. He's an architect over there, so I haven't seen him. So hopefully he can come in July and, you know, with the border hopefully opening soon and, you know, so I can see him. But, you know, just play some cornhole. You know, go to the beach, play some cornhole, throw the football around. You know, just kind of enjoy the summer for, for what it is. Play a little little bit of golf. What I do, you can't really call golf, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you can't even you know, it, it doesn't do the game any justice. So, um, yeah, but you know, just trying to enjoy being home as well as prepare for the next season. But uh, yeah, definitely just kind of soak it all in because it does fly by. That's funny. No, I mean, Cardi knows I'm I'm a pretty sick golfer myself too. Uh, <laughs> that, would, that would be a marquee matchup if uh, Mikey's as bad as he says. Rask versus Mikey, head to head, showbound, sponsor it. That would yeah. be hilarious. Maybe that one of us gets hilarious. under a hundred or something. <laughs> oh, under a hundred? What on the front nine? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So I just have a, an interesting question. Obviously, you know, uh, young guy signs a NHL deal. What do you like to do with your money? Like, are you are you balling out or are you kind of investing smart? Like, what, what are you like? No, I don't touch it. I don't touch it. I just put it away, invest it, you know, just do the smart things because, you know, realistically, it's not a ton of money that you're making right now. So, um, you know, for me, it's just I, I don't really live a flashy lifestyle. I'm kind of boring in that way. But uh, I try to play the long game. You know, my goal is to – hopefully get a house in the next few years and, you know, just kind of grow up, dude, do the mature thing. And like I said, I'm not in a big name brands or anything like that. Just uh, living within my means. And, you know, it's nice to, like I said, live at home with mom and dad for a little bit in the summer. Cause you just, you know, get to old doing like doing your own laundry and cooking all the time. And, you know, my first year in Utica, I mean, like I can cook, you know, I'm not phenomenal, but I can get by and, I didn't have a barbecue at my place and I do a lot of barbecuing. So mom and dad got sausages from the butcher and some steaks brought up to me in my, in my apartment. And, you know, I'm used to barbecuing like some sausages or whatever on the barbecue. So I call mom. I'm like, Hey, how the heck do I cook these sausages on the barbecue? So it was well, like put them in the oven, put them in the oven and like, make sure you poke holes in them. So like, you know, they breathe and whatever. So whatever. I, we played in Syracuse in the afternoon. We came back. So I'm like, okay, I have these sausages and throw them in the oven, you know, turn it on. I'm sitting on the couch. 15 minutes later, I hear it's a freaking bomb. Scared the shit out of me. So I go to the, go to the oven and the sausages exploded all over the the oven. Cause I didn't poke the stupid holes. So literally for four hours till one in the morning, I'm like cleaning my oven and it was ridiculous. I'm like, okay, this, this is bull. I should have just picked up Don's on the way home. Like, this is a joke. <laughs> oh, so, so now you're, you're stuck with a uh, sausage bomb in the oven and no, yeah. f- no food for the rest of the night. And he's got to clean all night. That's a, that's a sick night. And yeah. I'm sure just, just cause your day, you might've lost that game too. Just not, not a great day. luck wise for you. <laughs> oh, Probably yeah. lost that game too. I forget, but who knows? Probably took three off the bean too. Just what a, <laughs> what a morning. <laughs> not, not, not your day. Uh, yeah, we'll have to make sure we get you a barbecue, I guess, with your with your contract money. But the reason I ask about the money is uh, our partners at Gavin Hockey Wall Specialists believe that your goals matter. After hundreds of early morning practices and countless hours on the ice or in the gym, you truly earned your success and you deserve to enjoy it. For over 20 years, the team at Gavin has assisted professional hockey players with setting goals and more importantly, providing them with a game plan to achieve them. Whether it's a house, a car, a barbecue, a cottage, or even supporting your family, it's all within reach when you partner with a pro. 
You can check them out at gavingroup.ca. Now it's funny because uh, you, you talk about like investing smartly. That's like, that's what the Gavin guys like to hear. That's what we like to hear. So it's a good lesson for, I think everybody listening and definitely uh, res- respect to you for that. Cause some people like to go a little nuts when they get the, the money at a young age. Yeah, no, thank you. I think my parents would, uh, you know, they're a little old fashioned too. So they'd, they'd, they'd smack me. They smack me straight. Yeah. They keep you on the straight and narrow there. And uh, we're, we're just about done. We got everything covered that me and Rask wanted to talk about, but we always get a bunch of fan questions that we'll go through. I'll, I'll talk about a few and then I'm sure Rask might be able to hop in with a few. What's your stick and what specs are on it? Like, I, I guess it's specs are a little bit different. A lot of people won't understand, but you might as well tell us anyway. Yeah, I just use a true. I have my own curve on it. It's just, it's nothing special. It's actually almost pretty flat. Um, it helps me like, you know, make sure my passes are along the ice. I don't need to go bar south or whatever, like with, with our shots. You know, I see some goalie just ripping it with the bower, uh, which are great sticks too, but I just prefer uh, just true. It's a little heavier. Um, just makes me feel like I'm actually holding like a goalie stick in my hand and whatnot. So um, yeah, just, just relatively normal. Okay um here's a good one we got superstitions and game day routines and i've heard from a few sources there's a lot of them <laughs> well i mean like there's there, there's a few i don't call them super superstitions i call them routine my routine's relatively long it's just uh but it's way better than what it was like usually like when i was younger i needed to follow this to a t like this one when i was younger i literally made my mom make another lasagna for like the next game that we were playing just because I got a shutout the night before. So I'm not, not that superstitious to that level anymore. But, um, you know, whether on the ice, every time I go to my crease, I stop with my left foot. Uh, it's weird. Um, I snow my crease the same way. After every whistle, I take a drink of water. Uh, TV timeout, go to, the, go to the boards. I do towel, wipe my face, water, Gatorade, towel, water, towel, throw it back. Can't set it out, set it down, throw it back to the trainer, par me. Um, and then, like, tons of stuff. Like, there's stuff in the room where I'll put my chesty on after the coach comes in to talk to the guys. So, like, I'll go finish my whatever amino acids or whatever drink I have in between periods. And then, you know, go to the bathroom, come back, and then just wait. Um, so, there's just a few quirks here and there. Put my stick in a certain spot the way I – as soon as I get to the rink with my coffee, you know, throw my pads down, pants on top of the pads, socks on either side of the pant. It's yeah, it's it, 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 there's a few, there's a few, but uh, those are those are just uh, a couple. Or else just we'll be a, here just all a day. few. <laughs> and, and and Mikey, tell me if I'm wrong. I never played with you, but I feel like you could be the guy who's the first guy at the rink for game day. Am I wrong? Well, I'm usually I get there first. I'm most likely the first guy at the rink for practice, no doubt. Uh, games, I used to be there really, really early. Now it kind of tapered back to like two and a half hours or else you just get there. You just sit there so long. You have nothing to do. Um, but practice days, you'll catch me there at least two hours before practice starts. That's dialed in. So for all the young listeners, take notes. First one in, <laughs> last one out, uh, Mikey's mentality. Uh, who has the best shot you've ever faced? Other than like me, <laughs> <laughs> that's honestly that's that's extremely tough. To well, my first men's worlds, we were pretty stacked. So we had like McDavid, um, you know, Ekblad was there. You know, you you look down that roster, O'Reilly. Like we had a really really skilled group. So obviously those are 
you know, high-end shots, high-end talents. Um, in the O, probably, you know, Tipper. Like, what yeah. a release that guy's got is just ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that on um, Vancouver's probably PD. PD mm-hmm. has, a, has a weird release. He sweeps it, so he can basically go anywhere with it. I think when guys shoot off the toe, it's kind of more predictable. You kind of get a better read. Uh, but when guys like PD like sweep it, it's, it's a tough read to, to make. So, uh, yeah, like there's a few shooters that made me look stupid once or twice. So don't you worry. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of nasty shooters and I didn't really stack that world's team was your first time around, but, um, that's pretty nasty. You got to play with all those guys and kind of just something that just came to my head that I was curious about. What would you say in your career is your best pad setup or your setup like in general? Well, I think my best setup would probably be this past one with the world. I loved it. It was something different. It's something I never do. I usually am pretty reserved uh, with my gear. So probably like those would be my most out there kind of set. Uh, growing up, my first set of Brian's pads were uh, hand-me-downs from uh, an older Sun County goalie. His name was Jake Luter. And he had these Panther pads. So like they were legit a face of a Florida Panther split in two on the pad. And those were like the coolest things I thought. So, you know, Brian's does some pretty cool stuff and I, I love Brian's for it. They make them 40 minutes away from my house. So it's really easy to go get some stuff from them. And, uh, and I love using their stuff, but uh, for now it's more reserved, but I think the Canada, the Canada stuff was by far the most out there set I've had and, and pretty sick in my opinion. And after you get a few, uh, a few more games in the show, maybe a few years, you get a little bit more flashy after after some shutouts under the belt and stuff. Yeah, we gotta gotta get, gotta establish yourself first, then you can go a little out there. But until that time comes, I think I'll be more reserved a little bit. Yeah, and no, I, I, that does it for all all my fan questions and uh, for the whole interview itself. Rask, you got anything else to add, or is that all? Uh, yeah, I just want to add we we sent you a beautiful Axel watch. You'll be looking nice, rocking it. Uh, into the rinks in Vancouver when you're a show starter next year. So that'll be dirty. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was great having you on. This was a long one. It was a lot of fun hearing, you know, your mentality and, and kind of the ups and downs of your career and the weird season you just had. So yeah, we appreciate you coming on. I know our listeners are going to love this one. So yeah, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me guys. It was, it was awesome. All right. And thanks Mikey for that one. Uh, you guys heard um, great interview. We're super pumped about it. Uh, I thought it went really well kind of a different aspect of uh, of an interview. It's kind of a different one we haven't heard from, maybe a little bit different on perspective. We had a goaltender, a Memorial Cup winner, a guy who uh, follows a routine and a regimen very strictly and uh, is very dialed into his craft. So interesting to hear about that. What did you think, Rask? Yeah, it was cool. I didn't know what to expect. Hearing his story was cool and, you know, got that emergency call up in Vancouver, which I remember watching and I was really fascinated to hear about. So to hear him uh, kind of talk about that day was really cool. And, and yeah, his, his routine, not superstitions, his routine is fascinating. Like uh, he's absolutely dialed in. So it was cool. But uh, I actually wanted to ask Harry before we keep moving, are you watching the bachelorette this season? No, honestly, okay. I'm not even like, it looks like such a joke. Like I'm not, even I'm, I'm not watch. watching it either. I haven't even looked. I was just curious if you were. Yeah, maybe maybe when the OHL season starts up and I got nothing to do with the boys on Monday nights, maybe we can start it back up then. But for now, the Bachelorette is uh, is on pause for the Showbound podcast. So if yeah. you're here for that segment, 
it's not happening. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we got playoff hockey to talk about now. So we got more more filler in our episodes anyway. So we're good. And speaking of big sporting events, we have the U.S. Open this week. So let's get your take. Um, we're at Torrey Pines this week. So who you got? Oh, I mean, it's a tough pick, but probably Will's out Torres. <laughs> Dude. Man, this guy, you probably wouldn't understand any of this, um, but Will Zalatoris still does not have PGA Tour status. So he's technically not, like, he's not gaining FedEx Cup points or anything. Like, he's, he can't play in the playoffs or anything because he's, like, he, he came up from the Corn Ferry Tour last year. So it's, it's so weird, but he's so nasty, and he's going to get all these sponsor exemptions regardless of uh, what happens. But, yeah, he's going to be a star in the making. The way he hits the ball – should set up well at Tory. I like that pick. Um, I'll make mine for the fans now. I'm going to go with either DJ, just because he looked like he was in good shape last week. Um, playing, he, he put up a decent number, so I think he could be in the running this week. He's starting to come into form at the right time. And then and Brooks. Brooks kind of struggled at the last day at the PGA, so I'm expecting to see a lot of fire in his game this week. He'll be dialed. He's had the beef with Bryson since, so he wants to prove a point. I bet you Brooks or DJ win. If I have to take a long shot, let's go Phil. Phil's home course, hometown. I think he can make it happen. You never know. He has six runner-ups at the U.S. Open, so stay tuned. Watch for Phil. You never know. If he goes back-to-back majors, uh, uh, maybe maybe the Showbound podcast will do a uh, $250 donation to a charity of a fan's choice if Phil Mickelson wins this week. Let's make it $500. $500 to a charity if Phil if, Mickelson Does wins. Phil Mickelson have a charity or something? We can donate there. Maybe, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. But we'll, yeah. if Phil Mickelson wins, we'll do $500 from Showbound Podcast to a charity. All so, right, I like that. I like Phil too. So I'm Yeah, so that. everyone hop on the Phil bandwagon. So it'll be for a great cause. Um, we're real excited about that. But in other big news... For me and Rask, we were kind of just setting up a demographics page and Rask was looking through like our stats from like the podcast and see how many views we get per week. And he had never actually like checked like our all-time views for all episodes. And it was actually really interesting because last week I was kind of bickering at him. I'm like, yo, we got to be over a million. Um, And Rask's like, "Ah, I don't know, man. Like it's kind of crazy. Like a million's a lot. And I was like, no, man, like our, our fans got us in rest. Like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like we got so many loyal fans listening every week that it could be a good chance. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to come out and say, I'm going to let Rask say it. Cause he discovered it first. Rask, what are we sitting at right now for all time views? 2.5 million baby. Let's go. Like a little golf clap. Yeah. Just, a, just a round of applause to our fans. Like, honestly, we wouldn't be here every week without them. And just to see that's really rewarding for us. And I, I think that's what keeps us coming back and wanting to make great episodes every week is just the, the thought of all these people enjoying our episodes. So we're, we're super pumped road to a billion. So everybody keep watching, keep showing us that love and support that we really appreciate so much. Rask, what do you have to say to the fans? I think I'll take it away with the outro since you got the intro. So, I mean, yeah, like Cardsy said, we appreciate everybody. We got some big guests coming up. It's going to be a good summer of showman. We got the golf stuff. Um, we love you guys. Keep listening. No weather report, but enjoy your week. Hopefully it's sunny. Hopefully everyone's enjoying some time as things start to open up in Ontario or wherever you're listening. But uh, have a good week, guys. Talk to you next week.